To make the best better is the motto for 4-H. And this week, Goat Gab welcomes back special guest Margaret Chalmers to talk about the way she grows up youth in her county's Dairy Goat program. I think you'll enjoy hearing about her successes in introducing families to the joys of raising dairy goats and might find some things that would work for you too. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another amazing episode of Goat Gab. As always, I'm one of your co-hosts, Laura Warren-Hughes. And I'm the other co-host, Cameron Jodlowski. And today we have a special first-time returning guest to the podcast, Margaret Chavez. How the heck are you? I'm pretty well. How are you guys? Well, great. I've been better. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Poor Cameron. Poor Cameron. Oh, Lord. Well, yeah, let's let's not even go to where, where I've been. But, Laura, what's happening on your farm? <laughs> what's happening on my farm? You know what? I, I think I told everybody on the podcast that my semen tank was, like, overflowing. And, you know, it's bad when you look in all the canisters, just hoping you have enough room for just one more cane of something in there. And I truly did not. So I sold a little semen. And on top of that, I've been doing a lot of AIs. So this past weekend, we did six AIs, which was so much fun. It was just oh, wow. really exciting. So um, unfortunately, the very first one I did of the year did not stick. Um, she was a She's kind of a problem breeder anyway. So that's a little um, on the sad side, but it's okay. You know what? You just get back in the saddle and you do it again. And, and um so I'm I'm excited to be using some of the semen. It it's not getting any younger in that tank, and it doesn't do me any good on ice. So, Laura, I, let's let's I'm going to unpack that here for a minute because okay. one of Catherine's goats came back into heat, and she's like, "Why do I do this? Like, why do I get my hopes up?" But for everyone that doesn't have success with AI, I want you to know it's going to be okay, and you shouldn't stop AIing, right, Laura? No, you shouldn't stop. And, and, you know, in years past AI, I've always just kind of thought, well, it's kind of an exciting thing if it takes, but I've got a good plan, you know, a backup plan. And, and I think for me, that's what keeps it all in perspective. You know, I've, I always have a plan for a natural breeding. So it's not like all is lost if that AI doesn't take, except for the Sonnens, because I, you know, I, that's a little bit more difficult when you don't have a great backup plan, but um, you know, you just, you just got to keep trying it. It's a numbers game. And the more you practice and the more you learn about your animal's timing, the better it is. And, and especially if you're, if you don't mind maybe trying it a couple of times before you say, okay, we're getting late enough in the year that I don't want those, you know, late May or June kids. We're going to stop and, and we'll back up and try it again next year. But yeah, keep it in perspective. It's all fun. It's not. It's not uh, the end of the world if it doesn't take. Yeah, I think that's that's an important thing to understand, especially if you're new to AI, because people they get discouraged easily and they're like, "Oh, it never took." And remember that sometimes it it could be a lot of factors as well. The dough could not be the right type for it. The semen might not have had good quality, or it could have been your timing. So really. There are a lot of things, so don't chalk yourself up as, oh, I'm terrible at AI. When one thing doesn't happen, realize that, okay, maybe we have to punt um, and go make another plan, but it's always important to have a backup plan. 
Right. And two, you know, I hear a lot of people say, well, I'm just going to practice with the cheap stuff. You know, if you get a conception with the cheap stuff, is it going to be that exciting for you? I mean, I, I guess I'm thinking just go all out, do the very best that you can take the class, learn the, the skills and, and, you know, just go forward. Margaret, do you use AI very much? Not very much at this point. I've, I've attempted it twice in my life when I was a 4-H'er and one success, one failure. Um, and it's something I want to get back into, but I need to, or really kind of start using a bit. Um, but at this point I don't have a tank. Friends offer me space, but they're not close enough. It's, I just don't have the flexibility that time of the year with my goat grazing job to be able to say, oh, okay, she's in heat today. So tomorrow at 2 a.m. I'm going to have to take her up to get bread. I just don't have that yet. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I want to. That that makes it hard. Wouldn't you agree, Cameron? I mean, when you don't, if you don't have a tank. Yeah, it would be, it's, it's almost impossible without some flexibility unless you sync them up. And when you sync them up, it might work. It might not. Weird things happen. You know, I am a big, I am a big proponent of, Let's not disturb Mother Nature because she always knows best. But some people have success with it. But yeah, I'm always I'm always af- not afraid to sync it up. It's just haven't really had the best success rate with that. I, I've noticed over the years that I've had better success rate out of natural like natural heats than I do synced heats. Now, um, I'm not saying that that's a problem with the protocol. I'm not saying that that's a problem with syncing it at all. I, I look at AIing some ways, like I look at AI start or um, IV starts as a nurse. So our, uh, my nurse friends out there will probably know exactly what I'm saying. If you aren't mentally confident that this is going to work out, it probably isn't going to, um, yeah. you know, if I, if I go into an AI thinking, eh, I don't think, I don't think I'm going to be able to get it. I probably am not. Yeah. So, well, that's how I feel about the two AIs we did this year. Um, and they're set to pass over. We'll see if they pass over or not. I'm not holding my breath or anything on these. I'd like them to stick. It'd be pretty cool if they stuck, but if they don't, I'm not going to be like, Oh man, I don't have another buck I can breed to. I think I don't I think I don't have the problem. The one's complicated. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, you know, you, you always like them. And of course then if, if they do stick, then it's that, oh, I hope it's a doe or I hope it's a buck, you know, depending on your breeding. And then and then if you get them and they're butt ugly, then you're like, well, now what I do? I wanted this AI so badly and it, it's really an ugly duckling. What do I do now? You know, it's mm-hmm. eh, it's all fun. It's all it's all fun. We'll, yes, we'll get there. it is. Um, speaking of success, though, I did want to say, <laughs> knock on wood, success with keeping my bucks in. So um, there we go redoing the electric fence and um, we moved one of our senior herd sires um, onto another herd. He'd, he'd done as about as much work for us as he could. And while I was very sad to see him go, cause you know, he's one that I had from the time he was a little tiny baby. Uh, it's amazing. Nobody wants to escape anymore. So I don't know if he was the ringleader or if he just kind of kept everybody ramped up, but um, <laughs> you know, that's, that's really good. So um the other cool thing I wanted to share, my oldest daughter came home with a new present for our herd. Um, she bought a hoof boss. Ooh. So have either oh, of jealous. you guys used one of those? Have you used I one? have not, but I've I haven't, but I've seen them and I've seen them in use, and I'm kind of intrigued. I love I I'm weird. I love trimming hooves, but 
there are days when I'm doing like 50 or 60 or 100 meat goats and I kind of want a hoof boss. <laughs> yeah, I don't I, I don't trim as many hooves as, as Margaret does, but I like the concept of it in theory. I also like the concept of a Dremel for dogs in theory. Um, but I, I was I'm just I, I would be kind of leery to see if my goats would like that or not. How did your goats react? Well, so Elizabeth, like, you know, I like to sleep in on the weekends and since we're not milking, I don't feel guilty about it anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I didn't even realize that she was outside in the barn and, and I went out there and here she was hoof bossing away. And, and first of all, I've got to say those hooves are beautiful. (laughs) They're just like, they look like something out of a storybook that somebody drew. Um, They're level and they're flat and they're straight and, and she's really good at it. And she uses them at work. So uh, they use them on pigs and sheep in the job that she has. So she's really comfortable uh, using the hoof boss. So she showed me how to do it. And, um, you know, we talked about if the hooves are kind of curled over, you know what I'm talking about? If, if you're a little bit longer on trimming feet than what you should be, it's easiest to use your good old hoof trimmers to kind of trim that off. But then, um, you know, put on the gloves and put on the safety goggles because you want to protect yourself and go to town with that hoof boss. And they stood there better than they stood for me trimming their feet. Um, and, and I was worried that you'd get too deep and you couldn't see, you know, how, how you were trimming it off. And on one doe, I, I got a little bit to the quick, but that, um, that cutting pad on it, um, that sandpaper pad for lack of a better word, I don't know what to call it. Um, it cauterizes as it goes because it, it runs so fast. So they didn't bleed. It, it was just pretty neat. I, I was, I was really impressed. So it's definitely something that I think you have to get a skill level with and some comfort with it, but the does tolerated it much better than they actually do hoof trimming. And, you know, I've done that forever. So anyway, if some of our listeners have experience with a hoof boss, I'd be interested in that. Yeah, I don't know a lot of people that have them. The only one that comes to my mind, and shout out to the listeners of the pod, Terry and, and Don. Um, Terry, uh, yeah, those two. I know those two have them, and they love them, and they talk about them on Facebook, the Facebook all the time. So, hmm. Well, anyway, you'll have to come see it sometime, Margaret and Cameron, and I'll I'll uh, give you a chance to to try it out. It might be a revolutionizing uh, tool for you, Margaret, so that you're not uh huh. <laughs> Yeah. So who wants to go next with what's going on? I will bite the bullet. I will talk about what happened this week in my life. Um, so uh, we had a family wedding this weekend and it was great. Uh, congratulations to my brother and his, his wife, Evan and Molly. Um, it was great to see some of our goat friends as well uh, there at the wedding. And, and we had a good time and Cameron had, potentially a little too much of a good time. So um, yeah, there's, there's that there, but uh, uh, it's the time of the year. I feel like the goats oftentimes get some neglect because, you know, we're doing busy with family things or we're running around or like, it's a, okay, we're milking in the AM and then in the afternoon, we're just throwing out hay for them and making sure everybody's alive and nobody's in heat, other things like that. So lots of family time this weekend. Um, Unfortunately, not a lot with the goats. Still fun. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Margaret, what about yourself? 
Well, since the last time I was on the podcast, our grazing season finished, so all of those goats are at home, and they're they're whining and moping and actually causing a bit of trouble because now they're just on a crummy grass pasture instead of all this nice, brushy, weedy goodness they were on all summer. So they're being a bit ornery. Um, had a surprise set of babies born today, um, which is totally not how I normally manage breeding and kidding, but here we are. Um and again, that's all in the meat herd. I'm about halfway done breeding with my dairy herd, so that's exciting, and I can't wait for Valentine's Day, because that's when our first kids are due. And um, a couple weekends ago, I went to my first ever buck collection, which was pr- almost an entire, you know, a total flop for the boys I brought down. No fault of theirs, no fault of the collectors, and not necessarily a fault of mine, but I had, you know, one doe in natural standing heat, and another that I looted, and you know, tried to get the timing right. And then a three hour trailer ride and they were, no no one was really having it. So it was, it was a bit of a flop in that sense, but it was a good learning experience. And I think next time I, you know, looking forward to trying it again, I think I would do, I would be better equipped to handle everything that I can possibly control at the end of the day. If they're just not going to stand, they're not going to stand. The one doe I looted came into heat yesterday. Nice standing heat yesterday. Oh, so maybe she was just oh, too early last week. I looted two. One came into heat today. I had five does in heat the day after the collection. Gosh darn it. I was Gosh. like, <laughs> go out in the morning and they're all screaming and talking and the boys are going nuts. And I'm like, you are, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the best laid plans, huh? Oh, for real. Yeah. Well, that is frustrating. That's, that's no fun. Where was your butt collection at, Margaret? It was in Greenfield. It was about three hours south of me. So that was that was quite a trip for everybody. Um, uh, but it, it was a it was not at a particular location. It was at a an individual private farmer or you know another breeder who invited um, actually Andrea Forrest who did the collection and she was great you know and explained everything very well and did her darndest. We got. 13 straws out of one of the boys and they're great quality straws, but we just couldn't get them all to, to jump reliably. And so if they're not going to do their thing, we can't do the rest of it. Right now. And Andrea does a great job. Yeah. I think one thing that people listeners, if they've never been to a butt collection, you know, there are, you know, you can take that time out and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Like it's, um, yeah, I mean, and that's happened to Laura. Has that ever happened to you, where you're like, "Oh, butt collection, I'm I'm gonna go," and the boys don't. Do it their hasn't, job. but I know that I am absolutely totally spoiled in the fact that uh, the person that I use to collect my bucks is like ten minutes from my house. So, you know, that's yeah. I I haven't had that, but I've seen that happen with other bucks. So, you know, it's just it's just one of those things. You know, uh, if they're not in the mood, there's not a whole lot you can do to get that fixed and these were over hosleys and so they're kind of the romancers anyway and so really if they're not in the mood if she's not in the mood then it's not happening i'm pretty sure my alpine bucks would have been all over it they wouldn't have cared yeah (laughs) isn't it funny how there's so much of a difference in um the oh i don't want to use the word mojo but their their excitement about about breeding um I always yeah. found that Nubians, Nubians to me are just kind of reluctant breeders. You can't Interestingly, the most them. reluctant, the most reluctant I've ever seen was an Alpine, but he was a junior Alpine. Um, uh-huh. 
my little sister had Nubians and I'm, I don't think I went to many of the breeding. So I, I can't say firsthand, honestly. How do togs do Cameron? Um, togs are fine. I, I think that they've been pretty strong. Um, one thing, I mean, we might have to create some type of competition sometimes. I found that <laughs> to be the best to get them to focus. Yep. Um, so that always helps. Um, but I, I like I like collecting togs. I think they've been fine. Sables have been fine as well. Interesting. Well, maybe our listeners will let us know if they've noticed some other differences in in different breeds. But I it's um I I've not had problems with my alpines. That's for sure. They're ready to go. So yeah, which is fine. I mean, that's great. Mm-hmm. So do that. Laura, what anything fun and interesting, exciting happening in Adga? By the time this goes um, goes up for release, probably everybody will have seen it. But I noticed today that um, the Fosters put up that uh, they are taking their spotlight sale buck consignment out of the spotlight sale. So didn't give any reasons or anything, just said that, you know, it was just a decision that they felt like they needed to make. So mm-hmm. anyway, yeah. that's, that's uh, yeah. always disappointing. Yeah. Um, and you know, but I respect the decision of the breeder in that mind because obviously they would love to, to sell that animal and get it out into the public market, but at the same time they have to do what's best for the animal. So I always respect that decision when I see something like that, that does happen. And it's always a, a can be a turbulent road sometimes to getting to convention from that accepting nominee stage to getting to convention. I would imagine it is. I not having experience with that. Um, you certainly have. So um, I think that could be really difficult. I guess I would just also say if you're an ADGA member and you're interested in what your ADGA committees have been doing for you, take a look at the um, year end reports. Every day, it seems like there's one or two more. It's funny. I think they're supposed to be up by the end of August. Is that correct? I, I think so. I think there's a hard code deadline in the uh, guidebook. Um, I don't know right. though. I would I would need to go look at that. But it really just kind of blows my mind that there's a significant lack of reports. I went through actually just before we rec- recorded and went through the year end reports just out of curiosity. There's 15 of them that are missing. Wow, and it makes you wonder: Did those committees not do anything? Do they just not get things together, or? Are they working on some last minute things that they want to make sure are included for the board of directors meeting? So they've held off on putting that uh, report in there. Yeah. Laura, you're a director. And I, this is, I was thinking about this today. I was reading this here. When is the start of like a committee chairman's year? And when does it technically end? Cause I feel like there's this three, there's this weird gray area. Well, so remember I'm, I'm not a seated director okay. yet, but okay. But I'm going to answer this to the best of my knowledge. And I'm sure that some, if I misspeak, um, I'll be told or somebody can, can point it out. But what my understanding is, is that around the time of the convention and when we have a new um, ADGA president, that's when the chair, when the new chairs for each of the committees are selected. And then I believe that the chairman for each committee gets to look at all of the applicants for being on that committee and kind of give a yes or a no on that. So um, 
it, it will come out soon. And I know it always comes out in Ad Good News and Events, a form that you can fill out if you're interested in being on any of the committees. And um, it's kind of like a little job, little mini job application. You put down what you're interested in and what your qualifications are. And, um, and then you submit that, I believe, to the first vice president. Yeah, but so. don't hold me to that. I think that's how you do that. Yep. And then, um, then they let you know if you're on that committee or not. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I just, I feel like there's this weird gray area. And like after the chairman, the chair people have been selected versus like who, like, like December and in November, parts of November, like there's no real ad go work going on because those they have their year hasn't started yet. Does that make sense? It, it does. And I would also say too, you know, those, it, and it, it's not just an AGA thing. I would say that any organization that I've been a part of November and December just are pretty much deadhead months anyway, just mm-hmm. because of the holidays and, you know, it's really busy with family things. And, and most people don't want to put a lot of extra time into volunteering at those times. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that's, maybe that's just kind of a natural thing that happens with AGA is that they, they take a little bit of a break there. So yeah, for sure. I'm just, I'm just talking to talk now, but let's, let's move on to the main topic. Margaret, are you ready for the star of the show? I'm ready. Two? Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> All right. So we, we kind of decided to do this in this last week of October, because if you didn't know, October is national 4-H month. Um, so I know that in my community, like a lot of the businesses had window displays, featuring kids 4-H projects and talking about what 4-H does for people. Do you guys do that kind of thing in your areas too? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I know that Cameron was a 4-H'er. I know that I was a 4-H'er. I know that uh, Margaret um, has a long family history in promoting, promoting 4-H. And one of the things that really impressed me about Margaret when I first met her was the way that she got kids so involved and kind of grew them up into being a successful 4-H'er with their dairy goats. And I thought, what better, what what an awesome time to talk to Margaret and kind of have her share this. So, um, you know, let's, let's talk a little bit about kind of like your history with 4-H, Margaret, and, uh, and the legacy that you're kind of pulling out from what your mom and dad did when you were growing up too. Sure. So again, I I did not grow up on a farm or in 4-H. My parents had no ag background, but we got into 4-H because my sister and I decided that we loved the goats we met at an ag education farm and and we wanted to become farmers. So we got into 4-H, oh, mid-90s. I was never a clover bud. My sister was for a year or two. And we were growing up, um, actually for any listeners who listen to Ringside, um, I'm from Dutchess County where John is from. And so it's funny because now John's met my parents who are still involved in my old 4-H club and it's it's one big happy goat family. Um, but when we started in 4-H, we had a tiny little lot in a city. Um, and so for the first few years, we were borrowing other people's animals. So the legacy I'm building on now is the fact that, you know, it's both what my parents are still doing and what a ton of other people did for me. You know, the first year we were in 4-H, we knew obviously very little about goats. We were borrowing goats from that same ag education farm we went to. You know, they they were awesome and 
they got, you know, two of their goat kids registered. They were Nubians. They were NOA or grade. I forget which. Um, I don't remember which set of paperwork we did. But they were Nubians, so we could show them. Well, a week before fair, or later before fair, when we were, uh, I think, clipping them, discovered that my doe had double teats. Well, there goes my ability to show that year. And then a week before fair, they both got sick. Scours. So the first time we were ever going to show at fair, we had nothing. And it was kind of rough, but the club we were in was just so phenomenal. Someone else said, hey, I've got an extra doe you can show. I think one or both of us might have shown like a dairy weather. And for a few years, that's all we did. But we had people who let us come over to their farms or their properties and let us work with their animals. And we started you know, over time we learned to hoof trim. So then we were hoof trimming for breeders in the area and, and, you know, eventually we got our own animals, but there was just, there's a tremendous community in that area of people who are super giving and super willing to help 4-Hers, particularly those who don't already have that acreage or that farm. And so now that's kind of where I'm at. Again, I live on the outskirts of a city where there are people who have their three to five acre you know, country paradises. And then there's people like me with actual farms, but there's a lot of people who are in subdivisions and developments. And so most of the kids I work with now have some sort of a love for animals, are in 4-H, and now this is kind of the the species that they think they're going to dig into. And the dairy goats, I think, are just the best for that because, you know, not everyone's ready to sell a market steer at the end of it and have to give that animal up or send it off to be butchered. Um, Poultry is another popular one because they're small and, and again, you don't have to get rid of them. But the dairy goats have captured a lot of people in my area. And I think some of why they're so popular elsewhere is because you can you can start with that initial doling or two and then keep them through their whole lives and, you know, grow your herd and build your herd. But you you can bond and work with, you know, your heart animal, your specific critter. Um, and so that's part of why I think dairy goats are some of the best 4-H animals and part of why a lot of the kids around me, ha- I think, have fallen in love with them. So, Margaret, do you feel like that the popul- the current popularity with goat yoga and especially like with Nigerians and, and you know, shoot, you can't hardly watch television anymore without seeing some commercial with a goat on it. Um, do you think that's helped with the popularity a little bit? I think it has for sure. Um, I think that's playing into it. And, and I know that just from being, you know, the resident local crazy goat lady with a bajillion goats, I have all sorts of people, 4-H or not, you know, they, they contact me, hey, I've got this goat with a problem. Hey, I've got this goat I want to get rid of. And I heard you graze goats. And I think it'd be great. I want to give you this goat. Um, and so I get a lot of those people who want a few as pets, um, just think they're cute and, and and want something to trim their yard up. And then a few who really want to start a farm or start a dairy or, or at least have their own dairy goats. So I I think the pop culture appeal of goats is definitely there. And then you throw in, you know, within even the last decade or so, but then especially in the last year with COVID, people wanting to to have that kind of homestead security, know where your food comes from, um, be able to to produce your own milk and cheese and whatnot, that I think has contributed to it as well. Um, so I'm, I'm getting more people who who want this as a bit of their own personal sustainability or um, kind of homestead venture. Yeah, very cool. I, I think the homesteading part has become 
even more popular since the pandemic. And I, I think that's a, a growing market for goat enthusiasts. Um, and they're also spinning off business ventures as well based on that homesteading this. So it's, it's quite an interesting and robust time. And I really think 4-H and, and other youth programs is a great way to get that started. So, um, Margaret, one thing that I've noticed is when you go to shows, you have a lot of kids around you. Like, yes, too, like- I've been. <laughs> yeah, I've been I've been cultivating a little uh, flock of 4-H assistants because I'm I do, you know, the show stuff pretty much on my own. And so I need them to hold extra animals. But again, I do just enjoy it. You know, someone else at one point was letting me show their goat. And I love being able to to give that back to the next generation. And yeah, we've got again, we've got um, a fair number of kids in my local area in my local 4-H clubs who are who have become interested in dairy goats, but most of them don't have their own properties. So they are um, borrowing, leasing, sponsoring, whatever you want to call it, some of my animals. And that's a little bit easier for their parents who, you know, kind of like mine at first, weren't really sure how committed we were going to be to this. And so they don't have to purchase an animal and figure out how to feed it, where how to house it, all that. Um, you know, I take care of that for them, but they still get that experience of, of growing with it. You know, I start them out with a, a doling. They grow with that animal. They, they show it. They're the ones collar training it. And then... From there, a few are now looking at either getting their own and boarding them with me or, you know, maybe trying to rearrange their three acres of country paradise so that they can have some at their house. And then there are some who I think are just going to stick with borrowing critters for the rest of their days. And that is fine. Actually, the 4-H club I grew up in, that's the standard model now. Again, it's, in, it's you know, whatever, an hour and a half north of New York City, there's there's some old farms there. There's people who have acreage, but there's a lot of folks who don't. And to me, the lack of farm facilities is not a reason kids should not be engaged in 4-H, specifically the the livestock part of it. So how do you identify these kids? Do they come to you? Do you go to them? Is it people watching at the county fair and being like, oh, I'd like to show a goat. So how do you identify these youngsters? And then can you share that with our listeners so we can try to get some more slave laborers for our farms? I mean, young foragers. <laughs> most of them have come to me. Um, most of the kids I'm working with now are from my community's club, although we're starting to get a few in from other other clubs in the county. Um so most of them, you know, they, they come to our meetings and it's announced, hi, I'm, I'm, you know, Margaret, I'm the assistant leader of this club, and I also lead the county's livestock projects. I am the county project leader for all the livestock. We, we're urban enough that, and we don't have a big enough fair that there's, um, there's not a lot of those, like, market steers, market hogs sort of things going on. So I oversee all livestock projects. And then as these kids start coming to meetings, um, I have a captive audience to uh, promote dairy goats to. So that's been that's been part of it. But I I suspect that many counties have some sort of a directory of project leaders. And so, you know, someone who wants to get into um, cultivating their own little herd of 4-Hers to help at shows, just contact your county agent, your, whoever's in charge of your 4-H program and say, hey, I'm you know, I'd, I'd like to either act as a project leader or I have goats and I'm happy to share them with youth. Um, you know, just 
4 H folks are always looking for volunteers, and it doesn't even have to be something like being on the fair board where you're expected to set up pens and do the cleanup and all that. It's they they need people to to lead projects a lot of times. Oh, I just love that. So, so can you kind of walk us through? I guess walk us through your growing up, growing up a future dairy goat person. Like, what do you start them out with? It and and for our listeners who aren't familiar with like the term clover buds, talk a little bit about the ages that you're seeing because I think sometimes people think that their kids aren't capable of doing something when really they probably are. It's not just necessarily age dependent. Yeah. And so here we're, I'm also going to dig into a little bit of the kind of structures of 4-H, which I have, um, I worked as a, as a county agent in Kansas for a while. So I have, I have some of the like backside knowledge as well. 4-H is going to vary a little bit by your state. Um, so always, always check with your local guide, um, for any specific rules, but in general, kids can join 4-H in some capacity when they're usually five years old. And from either five to seven or five to eight, they're considered clover buds or clover kids, two different names for basically the same thing, kind of a pre-4-H'er. And the idea behind clover buds and clover kids is that they're exploring, they're learning, they're getting to try out um, all the cool projects that you can be in in 4-H without the same sort of rigor that our older 4-H'ers need or are expected to to kind of commit to. And clover kids... um, slash clover buds um they don't do anything like strictly competitive they can have an entry in the fair but it and they and they'll get to sit down in front of a judge and talk about you know the cookies they baked or the you know the painting they made or the goat they're showing um but they aren't placed first second third it's usually just here's a participation ribbon thank you for coming it's just trying to build that positive experience and give them that chance to talk to someone else about what they've done and what they've learned once the kid becomes a full 4-H'er at age 7 or 8, depending on your state, um, that's when it, it gets a little bit more formalized and, and competitive. Um, now, technically, I'm in Missouri. Uh, technically, clover kids are not supposed to be working with livestock, according to Missouri 4-H. You know, it's a health and safety thing. Um, they, kinda, they, by the rules, they limit them to poultry, rabbits, um, small pets sort of things. Personally, I don't have any issue with younger kids getting involved with goats and especially goats start them out with a, you know, a junior kid, you know, it's going to be bouncy and they're going to have to learn to hold on tight to that collar. But if the, if the kid is interested and comfortable with it, I don't have any problem starting them off younger, but just realize that depending on your state and your County rules, they might be limited in how much they can officially do. Um, with my older 4-Hers, and so I do fair. have a, yeah, I do have a few Clover kids, and what at our fair, again, even though they're not supposed to be, you know, officially working with livestock or um, and not doing anything competitive, we still have a Clover kid class. You know, they they bring their, quote-unquote, their goat into the arena. Um, the judge asks them, you know, what's, what's your goat's name? What breed is she? Tell me about, you know... How are you, how do you show her? Tell me about how you show this goat and set her up and, you know, very, very basic stuff. Just get them used to talking to someone and explaining the basics of their project. The older kids are where I get a bit more formalized um, with the kids I work with. Again, the ones who are um, using my animals as their 4-H projects, I expect them to come to our monthly project meetings. 
Um, and those are held monthly from about January or February through our county fair, which is July. Um, they have to come at least once a week to do chores. So they're helping milk the goats. They're bottle feeding the kids. They're hauling hay. They're hauling buckets of water. They're, you know, they're involved in all that. They, I, I understand why there are some states that actually require that kids own and care for um, the animals they, they show. And I agree that that's important, but I also don't think that, you know, a kid who lives in town shouldn't be able to participate just because they live in town. So I do think it's important that these kids materially participate in the care of their animal. Um, but just the fact that they aren't doing it day in, day out, I don't think should entire, you know, should totally exclude them from the experience. Because frankly, I've seen plenty of county fairs where the pig that shows up to go in the market class, the kid pulled it out of the lot last week through a tag in its ear and has never worked with it before in their life. And it came off of grandpa's farm. So he never cared for it anyway, but because he's listed as living on a farm, he gets to show it. So that's, that's one of my personal pet peeves. I don't want to exclude I kids just because they don't live that. on a farm. Yeah. Yeah. But again, I do yeah. think it is important that they're involved. And so, you know, because as a judge, when I've judged small county fairs, I'm not a licensed judge, but I, I've judged a handful of small shows. That is some of the questions I ask. Tell me about your goat. What breed? What's her name? How old is she? How much milk does she give? How do you care for her? And it's interesting the answers you get. And <laughs> you can tell when someone really doesn't know what what they're leading around the ring. Yeah, I think... That's how you can really weed out as a judge, especially the 4-H at the, the local level there. It's a it's a great question to ask and try to figure out who to weed out on who knows the most about their animal. And one of the most popular questions I ask in, in a lot of showmanship classes, no matter how old, or, how old or not or sanctioned or not, is tell me about your goat. And the kids that get really excited about that and maybe tell you way too much, those are the kids that <laughs> you can tell that have had that experience there, whether they went and they visited the goat once a week and took care of it once a week or that they were working with it every single day. But the kids that get excited about it, those are the kids that you can tell are definitely going to be doing this long-term. Yep. That makes your heart happy too. <laughs> yes. Yep. So then back to kind of how I work with these 4-Hers. Again, they've been coming for chores. They've they've got, you know, I pair them up with quote-unquote their goat that they'll be showing. and. And I encourage them to get to some ADGA shows, you know, recognizing that there's not any, you know, they're all a couple hours away from me, but I've had a majority of my kids have gone to at least one or two ADGA shows, as well as our county fair. And then the county next door to us has a nice um, youth show that I encourage them to go to as well. So it's, you know, get them involved. And the one, the ones that came to um, one of the spring shows in Missouri this past year, oh, the ones that came are all hooked. They loved it. They had a great time. And then, you know, Laura and a number of the other excellent breeders in the area saw that I had all these kids around and were offering, hey, do you want to show this kid in this class? You know, I need extra hands for this class. So they they had a, a tremendous experience. And that's because the dairy goat folks, you know, are some of the best around. And I appreciate everyone else kind of jumping in to help nurture these youth as well. Well, I'm going to tell you what I appreciate. Your little posse of of young helpers who are just 
They're just amazing. And they're so much fun to watch. Um, my daughter and I pulled into a show. It was getting ready to rain. And it was one of those things that you're thinking, do I unload the trailer as quickly as I can and hope I don't get rained on? Or do we just sit and wait for the rain to pass through? And I think there were seven seven little girls all lined up who were carrying all of my tack and all of my goats and everything off the trailer. And I just, um, Madeline and I looked at each other and we were like, I can't believe this. This is amazing. So, yeah. <laughs> we trained them well. <laughs> it was so, you know, if, if they enjoyed showing for us, we definitely reaped benefits from that too, because it was just so much fun to see kids who are excited to see you get there and like, sure, we'll help you. And we didn't even have to ask. They were like wanting to help. That was so cool. Mm -hmm. And and I've seen, I've seen your kids do that and I'm calling them your kids, Margaret, but I've seen <laughs> them do that at multiple shows for different people. So that's, that's really cool to see. Yeah. Uh, so my question, Margaret, for you, is what's your why? Why why do you do this and, and why? I guess, you know, you're a busy lady. You're you're the goat you're the goat raising lady. What what keeps your uh your candle lit or your uh or why do you keep doing it? By the time I was an older 4-H'er, I was already helping as like assistant club leader. Uh, you know, I I like Okay, I guess I'll be honest to my husband, who's probably in the next room hearing me. I, I, I kind of like being in charge, um, but I like teaching as well. <laughs> I'm probably bossy plenty enough of the times, and not just when we're working livestock. Um, but I, I do like that part of it. I do, you know, honestly, I do like being in charge, and I do like teaching. Um, but again, I had so many, I, you know, as a kid, I recognized how much some of these people were giving to me for little or, you know, expecting almost nothing in return. And I do feel that a definite, you know, happy debt, you know, it's nothing I feel like I'm onerously obligated to fulfill, but I do feel I owe it to try and give someone else that same awesome experience. And so I've just had the best time with, you know, with these youngsters over the last few years, and especially this past year, if we really took off it's been fun just working with them and seeing them grow and get better and start winning showmanship, you know, left, right, and center at the different shows they go to. Um, so that's been, that's been really cool. And now some of these kids are, you know, we're milking goats. It, these are goats they've seen every week now for a while. And, and one of my 4-Hers, she likes to sit there and start to kind of nitpick the body parts. She's, she's picked up just enough of it from the shows she's been to where she's like, okay, wait, this is, this is the part we don't like about this udder, right? And this is why this other udder is better. And, you know, the she's got her parts down. So we're talking about, okay, this is what a level rump looks like. And so it's, it is so cool seeing someone else dig into it. We all like geeking out about goats and really, you know, I'm, I'm basically creating another geek to join our circle. So that's, that's enough of a why. <laughs> That is just so I mean, I love awesome. having I love having the 4-H kids over because people keep asking me when I'm going to have human kids of my own. Um, it's like, no, I've got I've got the best of all worlds. They come over. They're into the same things I'm into. We get to hang out together. I get to be like the cool aunt. And then they go home and then I get to go inside and, you know, <laughs> drink a beer. So it's it is so, so, so much fun. Um and there's some of them where, you know, I have a few 4-H kids where I'm like, oh, yeah, anytime you want to come over. I've got one who asks every time she's over. She's like, 
do you have anybody who needs shots today? Cause she's, she wants to be a vet. And so she's, when I have a sick goat, I call her over. I'm like, okay, so here's this goat with these symptoms. Let's talk about what we're, what we're looking at here and try and diagnose this. And here's the meds we're going to give her. And she's, she loves it. I can literally hand this, I can hand this 12 year old, uh, you know, a, a couple of syringes, get a goat up on the stand and say, okay, give her those shots. And she does it. She's getting really good. What strikes me is I hear you talking about this and it's just so natural, but I also know it is hard work sometimes to teach somebody and to bring somebody in new. And especially when you see them struggling to do something that you could get done in a third of the time. Um, so, you know, yes, I know you love it, but I also think too, you know, you have that, that's a lot of commitment on your part too. So I just, as a former 4 -er, I thank you for doing that. And, and as somebody who is so excited to see the future of ABGA and these kids that you're working with, uh, thank you for helping to ensure that maybe my grandkids someday will have somebody who will do goats with them kind yeah. of like you've been doing. So that's just so cool. So cool. Love it. Yeah. Clipping is clipping is the, the hardest kind of time wise because I can clip a goat pretty quick, but Oh man, <laughs> we're standing there and standing there and I'm like, no, no, get, please get more than a half an inch at a time. Just, just lay the blade <laughs> on her butt. I, I will say I was, I was very impressed and enthused by, I mean, so I, I required my kids this year. Um, the first time their goat was clipped. So whether that was before or the, the first time before they showed. So either that was before our spring show or before the county fair, if they only showed at county fair, they had to clip their goat once. Follow-up clips I tended to do, because I'm like, there are only so many days I can do this. Um, so there was like a week or so <laughs> of, okay, we're doing two or three more goats today. This is going to be another afternoon. Um, but it they actually did really, really well. No one was super timid. No one was as bad as I think I was the first time I called my mom up afterwards. I'm like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry because I realize now <laughs> how bad that one day was in the barn back when we were, you know, I was what, like 10 or 11 with my first goat. Oh, it was bad. I think every parent knows that. <laughs> We didn't even have a milk stand when we started. We didn't even have a milk stand. So it was my mom holding that dang collar. Like this is, that's the level of commitment she's got into this. And that's why she's still having 4-H kids come over, you know, however many umpteen years later. <laughs> she's that level of committed. So for listeners that would maybe want to work to emulate your model, I guess I'm curious on the on the boarding aspect of it so if i were a wee tyke and i wanted to board a goat at your house i guess what does that look like um is there like a formal program that you have is it like uh your renting space i'm just kind of curious there i'm i'm actually formalizing it more now so this past year again everyone who worked with me did not have their own goats and so was using my own um or was using mine and there was no money exchanged. There, there was also no ownership exchanged. And this is something to keep in mind. So these kids couldn't show at the state fair 4-H show because they did not own those animals. The animals were not in their name. I talked to some folks on the state level and for future years, they can, but the kids would have to become ADGA members and then we'd have to fill out a lease form. I know that, you know, basically for the show season. Um, and I know that there are some other states where that's kind of the process as well. The kid does not have to 
you know, own the animal 100% of the time, but there needs to be some bit of paperwork in place saying, okay, you know, there was forethought. This kid's not just deciding to show up at the state fair with a goat and then collect premiums. This kid, you know, there's, there's a, a goat owner who's willing to vouch for this youth, say, all right, you know, you're, you're committed, you've been doing this, I, I stand behind that, and then the youth, you know, making that commitment and then following up. So in the future, my kids um, will probably sign a lease form, even if they're, um, you know, as long as they want to show at State Fair, even if they're not going to own the goat outright. Um, and when the kids are just borrowing my goats for county level stuff, even for state fair level stuff, again, no money changes hands. They just have that expectation that they're over averaging once a week between roughly April and July or August. Um, and then they have to come practice with that goat. They have to clip the goat at least once, you know, they have, they have these requirements that I expect them to fulfill. Um, and I take care of, you know, the health papers and the entry forms and all that, blah, blah, blah. But that goes in my name. You know, the the accolades, so to speak, go to me. Um, I I then have one or two who want to purchase their own goats that they'll have in their name with their herd name, um, you know, under their ownership, but then board them with me. And so I don't need to make money off of it. But I do think in that case, there does need to be a little bit more buy-in. So I'm going to have a nominal fee that they'll, that, you know, that will keep them at my place. Um, I'm still going to expect them to come over weekly, either while the animal's milking, you know, if, if we get into milkers here, then I, I've got a machine. So adding one more animal is not incrementally that terrible, but you know, it's still, it's like, okay, this is your goat and it is now milking. So you're coming over a bit more often to help. I figure about once a week during kind of the spring, summer, and early fall show season, and then at least once a month the rest of the year. Okay, it's barn cleaning day. You're coming over to help clean the barn. Okay, we're unloading a bunch of hay. You're coming to help stack hay. It's hoof trim day. You're coming to help hoof trim. You know, kind of those big events. And so, again, they get that material um, involvement with with that animal. I'm looking at maybe doing something kind of in between. Um, and this, I've actually gone back to to one of my... Um, one of the goat leaders from where I grew up, and again, ringside listeners have probably heard of Sally Grable, who is, she and Crystal Clum are two of the goat leaders in the area. Crystal was one of my idols when I was growing up. Um, she had a great herd of Nubians, and like I just thought she was the coolest person ever. I idolized her in showmanship and everything, and, and now her kids are in 4-H but they don't have a farm property. And so their animals are boarded with Sally, who's been a longtime youth supporter. And so she has a bit of everything. She's got kids who own their own animals, but board with her. And so I've kind of consulted with her on how she structures this. Um, and she has a couple of youth. She has other youth who just sponsor animals. You know, they've got their animal that they sign the lease form for, and that's their 4-H project animal. And then she's got, um, I think just one, one young man who's been, involved with her for so long and has helped out with the animals so much that she actually either has him as as part you know basically he can sign as or use her herd name i mean he now has his own goats that are i think in his name even though they were originally hers but basically he's sweat equity bought his way into part of the herd and so he's got his own critters he makes his own breeding decisions on i think he was um like premier youth Oberhosley exhibitor at the New York state fair or, or the big E or something. I mean, she's got, she's been doing this for decades. And so as I'm formalizing my own little plan, I'm <laughs> pinging her on, on Facebook messenger. I'm like, Sally, how do you do this? How do you work out that? How do you make sure it's fair to everybody? 
and she just loves 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 the youth and loves working with them so she's uh she's who i go back to a lot of times i really did grow up i grew up in the coolest place to start with dairy goats again our you know our county fair has an open sanctions show and a youth sanctions show at the same county fair you you don't get that many places um even without realizing it, we are surrounded by some of, you know, some of really national top quality breeders who are more than happy to let kids come help clip their animals or, or, you know, learn how to do hooves or help show. And so I was remarkably privileged and um, I'm not a national show quality breeder yet, maybe ever, but I'm hoping to at least offer the same kind of educational quality experiences by me. Yeah. Well, it makes sense. And it's really great that you're doing that there. Um, Laura, Margaret here, as we kind of work to wrap it up, what other ideas do we have for supporting or promoting youth for the future of dairy goats, for uh, for 4-H programs, those things like that? What things have you guys seen in addition to what Margaret's doing? One of the things that I uh, put on our list, because it's something that I'm kind of working on right now, when I was in 4-H, my county started something the year before the the year before I quit and I actually got to be part of this, um, one of my last years of 4-H was a Supreme Showmanship Contest or uh, some places will call it Round Robin Showmanship or Showman of Showman type of thing where um, the top showmanship winner in each species is entered into a contest to show all of the species of, sh- of animals um, in showmanship. Have you guys run across this before? Yeah, I have. I have. Yep. My home county fair did, we called it Master Showmanship. And so, yeah, it was the the champion dairy goat, dairy cow, beef cow, hog, and sheep showman. On Sunday, they all came together. The last day of the fair, they all came together. And then they brought in, you know, five pigs and then five beef steers. So a little bit different than what I've seen round robin, which I've seen more of since I moved to the Midwest. Um, But yeah, I think those are so cool. Well, so I uh, actually reached out to uh, the county that I grew up in. So a shout out to Boone County, Indiana. And um, the extension agent there sent me the rules that they have for their uh, county fair, because I'd like to try to do it in my own county here. Um, They include llamas. Oh, no kidding. (laughs) They have beef or they have meat goats, dairy goats, um, horses. Oh, wow. Dairy cattle a steer, sheep, pig, and llamas. And I thought, wow, that's like way ambitious. Um, yeah. yeah. Especially with so, those llamas running through those like rings of fire and stuff that they do. <laughs> what? Really? Maybe it's not rings of fire. <laughs> Obstacle course is part of it. I know, I know that. Yeah. They, they, yes. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, I think that's a really neat thing. And I know that some counties have a showmanship contest like that, but maybe don't include dairy goats. So I would say if your county is one of those, make sure that the dairy goats part of the part of that story, because, you know, those kids deserve to be dairy goat kids deserve to be part of that as well. Yeah, that's something that I always thought was really cool. Yeah. Uh, One thing as well is especially on the dairy goat side that you can do is work to break out that showmanship contest, maybe do a specific showmanship for dairy goats and then do one for meat goats. Um, because oftentimes they get combined together. Um, and I, I really think that that's kind of hard. It's like comparing apples to oranges. Um, you know, it's, it's a very different show experience 
show a dairy goat versus a meat goat. So that's something that uh, on, a, on a local level, you as a, as a dairy goat breeder could work to um, make that a little better there. And seriously, you know, dairy goat, dairy goat breeders, even if you're not an ADGA licensed judge, if you've been doing it long enough to be able to pick out, you know, a halfway decent goat from a not halfway decent goat, like if, and you're willing to volunteer and judge these small shows that might only have three or four or five animals, just to give those kids an extra positive experience and maybe get them, you know, interested that much more and maybe encourage them to take that next jump, say to state fair or, you know, something more regional, do it because I've, I've been that per, you know, I've, I've been drug into judging meat goats and, you know, since they had a, only two meat goats in addition to 10 dairy goats, or I've judged dairy cows because they didn't have enough people. I'm like, man, I've seen so many families that just decide to scratch all their entries because they're like, eh, well, it's not worth it. I'm like, no, I, you know, if these kids want to learn and want to be involved, I want to help them be involved. So the easier we can make it for these county fairs to bring in that extra judge um, when they already have 10,000 other things. And again, they may not understand that there's that much different between meat and dairy. So if you're willing to volunteer a bit of time, you know, a lot of times you end up with a free coupon for lunch from the, the hot dog stand or, or you know, whatever they've got going. <laughs> just, just try and do that. Bring that joy of goats to somebody else. Yeah. I've, I've eaten a lot of those free hot dogs. And, and feel good because you're helping those kids understand that they are important. And I think in some counties, especially dairy goats kind of are the, the redheaded stepchild. They just don't, they don't get a lot of respect, unfortunately. Yeah. You also might be able to, to connect that kid who's got this kind of dorky looking, say Nubian. Um, you say, Hey, you know, if you like Nubians, I know someone in the area who's got nice Nubians and would be happy to start another 4-H'er out. So you can be that, you know, you can get them into the better quality animals that way too. Um, one thing I found in, you know, having moved to the Midwest where dairy goats are not as common at the individual county level. Um, so when I worked as a 4-H agent, the very first county fair we had, there was one dairy goat in the entire dairy goat show and she was an Angora Sonnen cross with horns and she'd already been dried up because they didn't want to keep milking her that long i was like oh lordy where am i this this <laughs> wasteland without dairy goats um so there there's also that chance to very gently educate no an angora is not a dairy goat breed and here's here's some ideas here's some people to talk to so that county i used to work in i have since brought you know, given or sold or transported other goats into that area. So now there's a growing populace and these families are like, oh my gosh, we didn't realize goats could be this wonderful. She's so friendly. She's so great. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's because you've been raising meat goats that you teach to brace. And then that's pretty much it. Like dairy goats, you get a relationship with them. So they're, they're starting to catch on just a little bit in that county. Yeah. Yeah, I think one thing as well that people can do, and I love this last point here, and I always think about Bruce Foster and, and the Fosters there in Indiana, is the show-alongs. And they'll take kids that maybe want to get more active in the goat world, and they'll take them to shows, and they might take them to five, six shows a year. Um, and it really builds confidence up in those kids, and it really gets them a lot of exposure to dairy goats. I would argue that I was one of those kids. <laughs> I know you were. <laughs> I mean, really, if it, if it wasn't for my men, the, the person that I bought my first registered goat from um, and uh, their family opening their hearts and their doors to me and, and 
come on, Laura, we'll just throw your goats in the trailer with our goats. And, um, you know, that was, that was life changing for me. Yeah. I've only been to two national shows. My first one was 2008 in Louisville and I didn't have any of my own goats there. You know, my, a couple friends and I, my sister and a friend and a few friends went, um, pretty much so we could do the youth stuff. Um, and so we were, you know, again, borrowing another very generous person's goats and, and so, yeah, we were, we were kind of those show alongs. Obviously we competed at a local level plenty. Um, but it was just, it was just someone saying, no, no, let's, let's find a room together. Let's, you know, find a hotel spot we can get. Let's go. And just someone, you know, making sure we got to dinner every night and got our whites bleached and all that. Um, but they gave us that opportunity <laughs> to show at a totally different level that was beyond what we'd done before. And that was, that was just great. Yeah, and what I tell kids, and I'll publicly say this here, is if you guys want to show at the national show and you want a showmanship goat, don't be afraid to ask people. Don't be – don't. they might say no. However, don't be afraid to ask people because um, nothing would make my heart happier than someone coming up to me and being like, hey, can I use one of your goats for showmanship? Because one, I know that you're going to fit that goat, and two – um, that's less work for me. No. Uh, and two, <laughs> that's all about giving back though. And it means a lot that you would come and ask a breeder that, that you might not know, or, or that you might have a connection with and say, Hey, can I use their goat? Because that means that you probably think highly of them. So. Right. And I think for, for those of us that have been in the national show showmanship ring as youth at one time, it is kind of nostalgic to see one of our animals back there again and, and watch that. I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. That's, that's kind of a cool thing. Yes. Or I think so anyway. Yes. So, one last thing that I want to touch on real quickly. Um, and my friends up North in Iowa do a really good job of this because they have a share a kid program. Yeah, it's a it's a really successful program, I would say, um, and it really garners a lot of attention. They do get a lot of applicants every year, um, and those kids they don't normally just have success at the county fair level. Some of them even succeed at the state fair level as well. Yeah, and I think Cameron, do you know a lot about those particulars? Because if I remember right, in reading the reading their requirements, um, you not only get a kid, but you kind of get a, a mentor from the breeder that's that's donating that kid, correct? Yeah. So you you get the access to that mentor that that gets that. And normally it's it's an Iowa breeder and and there are some good and great breeders in the state of Iowa, not just good. There's great breeders in the state of Iowa for all our Iowa listeners out there. Um but it really allows them to connect with, you know, a dairy goat um person and really get that uh attention that they deserve because again, the, the 4H projects uh, of dairy goats might not be as popular in, in counties in Iowa as, you know, the beef side or the, or the swine side or so, something like that. Yeah. So that's something else that you could look at too. And I bet you, if you reached out to the Iowa um, dairy goat associations website or talk to any of the breeders listed on their website, they could probably give you more particulars on their program as well. Yes, I do agree there. Margaret. How do you want to wrap us up? Do you have any inspirational words in order to, as we go forth and, and change the dairy goat world? <laughs> We're just going to make the best better. <laughs> well, that's a perfect way to put a little cherry on top of this here. <laughs> I think so too. Thank you, Margaret, for being our guest again. And um, 
it's always wonderful to talk to you. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here trying to think what kids are there in my County that might really benefit from a program like this. And, and who could I think about taking forward since my kids are all out of 4-H now. So, um, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to, to be out of that part of life. So it'd be fun to start it over again with somebody else. Yeah. We're only an hour away and I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure a couple of my 4-H kids would love nothing more than to come practice showing with your goats because they admire them very much. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying. Well, I I think that'd be all right. Yeah, absolutely. As listeners, as always, thank you for uh, listening to us each week. Um, As always, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and find us on the Facebook as well. Drop us some feedback. Um, give us some reviews or give us some notes as well. Would love to um, give hear some feedback on that. Uh, buy our shirts. Uh, Margaret, have you gotten your shirt yet? Yes, it arrived the other day. I have it on now, actually. Oh, okay. Awesome. How is it comfortable? Very is- it is. Okay. It is. Okay. Okay. I haven't physically seen them yet. Laura, has your shirt been there? It has not arrived yet, but I'm hoping it'll be here any day. Awesome. Well, feel free to get a shirt if uh, you do feel so inclined, and feel free to support us on that. And as always, have a great week, everybody. Thanks for being part of our podcast, folks, and we'll see you next week.